This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as he is every single week, is my esteemed co-host, who today is going by the name Chapel Dax. It's Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how is everything going today? Well, it's going great, Chris. Uh, two great female characters in a, in a book we're going to be talking about tonight. So hence Chapel Dax there is a little aside for them. And, you know, it's, it's just going well. Um, it's actually, Chris, uh, by the time this show drops, I will have turned 35, which I don't know about you. I mean, I, I, you're, you're a little older than I am, but yeah. it's crazy to think I'm going to be in my mid-30s. Um, so... Where does the time go? Well, I I will be 42 later this year, so but I'm there looking forward go. to it because it's the meaning of life, so. Yeah, that is true. So you I, do you get the secret <laughs> then? Like do they does somebody whisper it in your your ear? Does does um well, does Q come down and snap his fingers and and make everything possible for you or something? Well, Matthew, you know, and spoiler alert for those who haven't read these books that have been around for decades and decades, we do finally find out. You know, they go to this planet and they find God's final message to his creation. And in giant flaming letters, it says, we apologize for the inconvenience. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) All right. Well, we've got a couple. Well, we have one news story today, and then we're going to talk about the first issue of the Q Gambit, IDW's Q crossover into the Abrams verse. Before we jump into the news, though, I want to remind everyone about our reviews promotion that is going on right now. If you go to iTunes and or Stitcher and review Literary Treks and any of the other shows that you listen to on the network, including the Master Feed, You can get your name in a drawing for some great prizes, Star Trek Blu-rays, DVDs, novels, art badges, Starship collection ships. We're giving away some great prizes. We'll tell you about all the details at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. But be sure and go review us. Help us get word out about the show to the Star Trek masses, and we have some great prizes that you could win. All right, Matthew, let's jump into this first story here, pop-up books. They've got some interesting ones here, including a Bride of Chaotica pop-up that's in this book. Chris, there's no 
Bride of Chaotica in this book. Oh there wait, is. yes, there is. There I'm is. just kidding, folks. <laughs> uh, this is also good. This is going to be an awesome book, Chris. In fact, you know, I I think we should bring back something we haven't done in quite a while since uh, I was gone and didn't get to talk about it. But it's been out for a while. It's time to. That's right, folks. Judge a book by its cover. We haven't done it in a while, but we're going to bring it back because you love it. So we're going to judge a book by its cover. And today is going to be a double header, right? Because we're going to judge the pop-up books by its cover and also the Q Gambit by its cover. Yeah, we should do that too, definitely. Um, But I mean, this cover, Chris, for this pop-up book is brilliant. I mean, for me personally, you couldn't get a better cover for a Star Trek pop-up book than the NCC 1701 refit on the front cover in a gorgeous shot, reminding us just how good that model really was. So um, I I have to say sufficiently exciting because one, I love this Enterprise, and two, I love pop-up books. That's right, it's out there. I love them. Now, Matthew, are you sure this is the only image you could have put on the cover? What about that scene from the original series where Kirk is in the cave and he's holding that piece of the cave? (laughs) Well, you could have done that um, or, you know, I mean, you could have put just about any scene with, you know, any of the Daxes, Esri or or Jadzia. That would have been great. Uh, Maybe a nice pop up cover of, um, you know, Beverly Crusher. I I don't know, Chris. Uh, There's just plenty. There's a plethora of choices. Something with Um, Riker on it, maybe. Yeah. Propping up his leg. (laughs) You know, the ladies would. His his leg is coming out of the cover. Yes. Yes. Ladies (laughs) would would love this. (laughs) Um, But no, it's a beautiful cover. Um, What's great is that um, we're going to be getting some really fun scenes going to be popping up. The the Trouble of Tribbles, the iconic Tribble pile. Um, You're going to get the the Klingon Bird of Prey, Borg Cube, Deep Space Nine, Captain Proton's Bride of Chaotica. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the NX-01. And we're going to have just some great artwork. I'm really excited um, this looks fantastic, and and I don't know about you, Chris, but I do. For some reason, after working in the children's department of Barnes and Noble, I really came to love good pop up art uh, because it is a really amazing art form. It is, yeah. If they're done really well, it is very amazing what the artists can create here. These books have been designed by Courtney Watson McCarthy, and I'm interested to see it firsthand. You know, it is one of those things where. The pictures aren't going to do it any justice. You're going to have to go in the bookstore and open this thing up. Well, I, I do think uh, this is another great book, Chris, to, to be introducing kids to Star Trek. We've been talking yeah. about uh, frequently on the show, I think, in the last few weeks. Is This is another great way to do that, so I'm very excited this is coming out. I do think I'll be buying this for my niece and nephew for Christmas. So, yeah, I, this is a fantastic addition to uh, Star Trek literature. It really gives us a great opportunity, I think, to introduce Star Trek to young and old. And honestly, I want a copy of it. I actually have a signed copy of uh, Robert Sabuda's Peter Pan, mm-hmm. and I love it. It, it the, the artwork in there, the pop-ups are incredible. The engineering behind it is, is pretty amazing. So I'm excited to get this. Yeah, so this will be out later this year, so we will update you when at least Matthew gets his hands on one, maybe we'll do a, we'll walk through it on the show. Matthew, you can show it to me on the camera if I can't get a copy myself. 
and we will give a firsthand account of everything that's popping up at us. Sounds good, Chris. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and judge the other item by its cover and then talk about what's on the inside. This is issue number one of the Q Gambit from IDW. It dropped yesterday as we're recording this, and we've had a chance to read it now. So, Matthew, what do you think about the cover? Chris, definitely sufficiently exciting. Um, I love the fact that we've got Q with his open hands. He looks like the Allstate guy, and except that he he's got the, the new Trek crew in his hands. Um, really? And See, he, he's I was got hearing, a twinkle in his eye. You know? I was hearing, I've got the whole crew in, in my, my hands. hands. I've got the whole <laughs> new crew in my yes, hands. The new I've got crew. the whole new crew in my hands. And it's going to be fun with them. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this is a great cover. And and, and, and we've talked about this before. How is this all going to work? We know Deep Space Nine is going to play a part in this somehow. I'm excited. And, and I got to say, just as on a whole, after reading this first issue, I'm hooked. I, I want to know what happens. Well, I'm with you there. I definitely want to know what happens. Now, those who listen to Hyper Channel heard me a couple of days ago just talk about sort of my cautious approach to this. I'm still not sure what I think about Deep Space Nine being in here, though, even as I get to the the final page. And I'm not going to know how I feel about that until we get the next issue and I can find out just why Q is sending them there. So here's the spoiler alert. We're going to talk about some of the things that happen in the story now. Not not too much, but a little bit here. So if you haven't read it, you might want to read it before you listen to the next few minutes of the show. So Matthew, he is sending them for some reason into the future to Deep Space Nine to prove to Captain Kirk, New Kirk, that there is such a thing as the no-win scenario. Where do you think he's going with this? Chris, this is the thing I, I couldn't figure out. Um, it, it, the, the the cover that we have that has Cisco on it, if you if you've seen that cover, mm-hmm. he's in the um, you know like the fourth season type of uniform. He's bald, so it, it you know it, it's not. It doesn't seem like it's the Dominion War era, even though who knows? Because a, a lot of times they just they put a publicity photo kind of thing on there and it doesn't really have anything to do with where they're going with the story i don't understand exactly what the no-win scenario of deep space nine is yet that that we've gotten to so who knows i'm I'm guessing it's not time's orphan um (laughs) you know (laughs) i don't think that's it but i do have to say you know the beginning of this comic kind of dealing with the aftermath of spock saving the prime universe Card lamenting uh, Spock's death. I thought it was very funny that we get the whole Spock lives thing that we yeah. got. You know, when when uh, everybody back in the like the early sixties and seventies was Frodo lives. You know, and, and right. of course Spock died, and so you would have fans uh, all yeah. excited about that. So I thought that was great I, it, because the interplay between between Q and Picard has always been my favorite. I thought it's always been the best writing. Yeah. It's always really what made Q work to me was his foil of Picard. Well, what works is that for Q to work, he has to be playing against someone who will engage him on an intellectual level. And that's where it didn't work in DS9 because Cisco just punched him. And with Janeway, there was this 
undertone all the time of Q wanting to mate with her. And that didn't really work either. So Picard and Q work really well together. And it feels to me surprisingly, although maybe it's because we're on the five-year mission now and the Chris Pine Kirk from the Abramsverse is starting to mature beyond the frat boy Academy Kirk into an actual leader. It feels like there's a little bit of a potential here for Q and this Kirk to work well together. Well, and what's interesting is the setup Q tells Picard that Spock saved this universe but by going into the other universe, he's triggered a sequence of events that will doom that one. Right. So somehow, this storyline has to be about that as much as it's going to be about him visiting Deep Space Nine and those characters. Well, that's what's weird is that they cross back over. Are, are we correct that he's crossing back over to the prime timeline? Or is this the Deep Space Nine in the alternate universe in the future? Well, and that's the interesting thing is that um, at the very end of the comic, you know, they are having the discussion, Kirk and his crew, about where they are. And he says, one, they're on the opposite side of the Alpha Quadrant. So they, they would be in the Bajoran sector at this point. And it's uncharted to them. And then, of course, Uhura says that there's something wrong with the ship's chronometer. So my guess is that they've been thrown into the, the future of the Prime Universe because it would definitely be off from where they are. And then, of course, Spock even says at the very end, you know, it's it's not so much not only what is that, which they're looking at Deep Space Nine at the station, but where are we and when? And when. Well, they and have to so, be in the future, of course, right. because the station's there. What's interesting, too, I'm just thinking about this as we're talking, and you mentioned that the Bajoran system, this area of space, is unexplored to them. Let's not forget that Harry Mudd's daughter is half Bajoran in the Abramsverse. This is true. Also, if we do look at this very last page, Chris, there are Jem'Hadar mm-hmm. warships at the bottom of Deep Space Nine here. That's what those are. So if we're wondering what the no-win scenario is, is it that this Enterprise has been thrown behind enemy lines at this point? And this one is when the founders and, and the Dominion are rulers of Deep Space Nine with the Cardassians during the Dominion right. War somehow? I don't know. But it is interesting because those are, um, those are at least from what I remember, Dominion warships looking like. Not the fighters, yeah. but the warships. That's what they look like. Okay, the warships. Yeah, okay. It could be. So we won't know until we get the next issue. So I don't quite know where that's headed, and I'm still kind of skeptical. So Matthew, before we record it on the other side of the page, you mentioned that you think one reason they may be doing this comic with Q is to pique the interest of people who otherwise might not read the ongoing comics as a way of bringing them in. And using DS9 could also be for that purpose as well, so that people see these and go, oh, Q's here, Deep Space Nine's here, there's Cisco, maybe I should read this. I hope that it's not just that. I hope that there's more to the story and it and it has more of a purpose than simply, let's find a way to get people who wouldn't buy these to buy them. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I hope it's that way as well. Um, I, I, I think that this is a really interesting idea. The way that it's been set up could play out very well. This is a six-part series, so they have plenty of time to create a good storyline. Hopefully, they'll do that. This is definitely a hook. I mean, this yeah. this definitely has me, and I want to know more. Let's just not, you know, mess this up. And the only reservation I think I have, Chris, is that, you know, we talked about Q and who he works best with. You know, he didn't really work with Cisco. So is Q not going to show himself to Cisco and just be appearing to, to the Pine Kirk the whole That's time? That's kind of what I think. Because he's afraid of getting punched again? <laughs> That's kind of what I think. I have a feeling that Q is here. He's picking on Kirk. And it wouldn't surprise me if he only shows himself to Kirk just as he so often, like think about All Good Things where that was a story between Q and Picard. It wasn't Q showing up and harassing everyone on the crew. It was Q trying to prove a point to Picard. It may be something like that. What, by the way, what did you think about the writing of Q in this issue? I thought he he, he sounded like Q. Yeah, I, I, I feel so like he's spot on for Q. In fact, not only that, Chris, I, I think that the way that they wrote him and Kirk together is really good. Uh, yeah, it yeah. comes off really well. And in fact, um, you know, I, I think uh, Q uh, tries to egg him on basically to get him to punch him. Yeah. Basically to do something like a Cisco would uh, and, and even like this Kirk would, you know, uh, and then have a Budweiser classic afterwards. <laughs> right. But um, no, this this Kirk definitely holds his own against Q and asks some great questions, yeah. especially since, of course, this is kind of what happens when you have no knowledge of who Q is. These are kind of questions that Picard kind of asked and wanted to know. See, and that's also why Q works better on TNG, because in Voyager, it's already, and even on Deep Space Nine, when they mention Q, they're like, oh my God, Q's here. Shields up, red alert. You know, this guy's bad news. I've heard all about him. And they go in with this preconception of who he is and why he's there. This takes us back. When I said earlier, there's the potential for Q and this Kirk to work well together. And I talked about Picard engaging Q intellectually. I don't expect this Kirk to engage Q intellectually in the same way that Picard did. But I think that you just nailed it there, that it's the fact that he has no idea who this guy is. And so it's that fresh, new relationship again. And I think Q's written really well here also. I think this is the best written Q that we've seen since he was on The Next Generation. I would tend to agree with you. Um, I think except for Death Wish and Voyager, which I think was an interesting episode. That's sort of an anomaly Exactly. Yeah, that's almost like it's it's not your typical Q episode. It's actually about Q's character growth, right? Exactly, and so all of that I think it it, is spot on. This is this is great Q. This is classic Q, um, and I'm very excited to see. And I did want to mention, Chris, this has not a lot to do with the comic, but at the very end, I want to just give a shout out to our friends there at the Holodeck Podcast because they are the question and answer section there. Uh, at the end in the open channel section so oh, michael cool. and bunny were the ones who submitted all the questions and they were answered and i thought that was great and so i just wanted to give them a shout out that's great to know uh, and see and i was really excited for them getting a chance to do that 
Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I actually had not read the Open Channels page yet. This is a new thing that it seems they're going to be putting at the end of the comics now. Yeah, which is so much fun. So it was great to see that for the first edition, they reached out. Uh, the Holodeck was the podcast was the first ones that got to do the questions for them. So very exciting. Um, and, and congratulations to Michael and, and Bunny. And, and yeah, I'm cool. excited to read this now because I know both of them through Twitter. <laughs> very good. Well, I guess that's all we need to go over on this one again. We don't want to give away everything that happens in story here. Uh, Definitely read this. Um, There's really good dialogue here between Q and Picard, between Q and Kirk. There's an interesting little game, shall we say, that Q plays on the Enterprise crew, on the Abrams vs. Enterprise crew. Yes. uh, That was kind of nice. And um, I, I like what they did here. I'm skeptical about the DS9 part. I'm just going to have to see what that is. I'm not crazy about the crossover just because it feels like a gimmick, but hopefully it's not. So I'm going to wait and see. Well, Matthew, that's all we have in news. In a moment, we'll be joined by Dan Gunther from Trek Lit Reviews, who by now everyone who listens to Literary Treks knows Dan. He's been on with us quite often recently, and we always love having him. And we're going to talk about Scott Pearson's new e-novella, The More Things Change. Before we do that, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They're the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere, and as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And Matthew, every week we like to recommend a book, usually a Star Trek book, for people to pick up on Audible. And I was inspired this week by the e-novella that we're going to talk about. And I'm going over to Audible to get my audio copy of Dr. Mabenga's An Overview of Telepathic Challenges and solutions for the non-telepathic caregiver. It was a really important book for Nurse Chapel, and I think I need to beef up on that myself. Problem is, Matthew, do they have this on Audible? Chris, that one isn't on Audible yet. You're you're a few centuries too early oh, for that. Um, I was now, thinking it, it might be, not be published yet. Yeah. yeah. The nice thing is, is when it is on Audible in a few centuries, it is read by Leonard H. McCoy with that wonderful Southern draw. So it's perfect for listening when you want to go to bed at night. Um, but unfortunately, I think you're going to have to recommend another book to listeners. All right. That's too bad. Too bad. Because it sounded so, so interesting. Well, Matthew, why don't we recommend instead, because the book that we talk about today covers some of those uncharted areas of Star Trek. Let's recommend J.M. Dillard's Star Trek The Lost Years. Do you remember reading this book? Chris, I have not read that one. I know that it was pretty influential. It's just one I have not picked up, um, partly because of its age, yeah. and two, just because with all the Star Trek books out there, I just haven't gotten to that one yet. But it is one that I'd like to read because it does a great job out here of connecting that five-year mission, what happens between that period of that and the motion picture. Right, yeah. It is set at the end of the five-year mission. It's after the five-year mission, And it's the story of Kirk and Spock and McCoy struggling to establish new lives apart from one another and apart from the Starship Enterprise. Kirk has been promoted to Admiral. It's a new role for him there at Starfleet. And they have to defuse a critical hostage situation. 
Spock is in the midst of a teaching assignment on Vulcan, and Dr. McCoy is getting himself in trouble as usual, as you, you kind of got the feeling was going on when you saw him show up there in the motion picture, you know, just with the way he was dressed, and the way he looked and everything. You could tell <laughs> he had been seeing some action. He'd been into some trouble there, and he's gotten himself into some trouble in this book as well. So yeah, this is an older book. It's from 1989, but it is narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And again, it's written by J.M. Dillard, and you can get it absolutely free by trying Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and pick it up or pick up any other book that you prefer, and you can get that as well. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that book. That's yours. But by trying out Audible, you'll really be helping us here at Literary Treks. The money we receive from Audible when just one of you tries out the service almost covers the cost of hosting and distributing literary treks for one entire month. So it's a huge help to us, and you're going to be getting great books in return, great prices, great selection every month. Go try them out. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, Chris, I think we've got a great show for everyone today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the new e-novella, The More Things Change, which has just come out, which I'm I'm excited about. We've really enjoyed the e-novella format so far. And what's really exciting on this one is we're going to have Dan Gunther from uh, Treklet Reviews back to help us with this. How's it going, Dan? Hello. Um, well, it's pretty hot here, believe it or not, in Canada. But other than that, I'm doing well. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. It's hot in Canada. <laughs> it is, <laughs> believe it or it not. Is. I think objectively hot. It's. Uh, I thought that 30... was against the constitution, there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I thought. This is why I live here. But nope. <laughs> oh goodness, global warming. There you go. It's hot in Canada. Oh, uh, exactly. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys. Um, so the e novella format one. Dan, I don't know if we've, I don't think we've talked about a novella with you. So just give me your impression of the e-novellas that have been coming out and, and just kind of your opinion on the format and have you liked them so far? Well, Matthew, yeah, I've actually uh, really enjoyed the e-novella format. I feel a lot of times it's kind of like getting an episode of the series, uh, whereas the books feel kind of a bit deeper. You take your time with them. These e-novellas, you can kind of get through them in an afternoon and it really does feel like just kind of an hour long episode of your favorite series. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's, that's dead on, especially, you know, too, if it's a good novella, um, I'm thinking of James Wallow's recent novella that was so good. Um, and, uh, of course, Mm -hmm. Chris, uh, we just, uh, talked about seasons of light and darkness with, uh, Dr. McCoy, which was so fantastic that I thought, and, uh, strangely enough, this one is also set in the movie universe. So apparently, the e novellas have really taken on that that mantle of what we've talked about a lot. I think somewhat on the show, Chris, that the movie universe and being really primed. So this setting, it this one's right after the motion picture, and and we were talking uh, on the other side of the page, Dan, that the last book that we really saw in this time period was Christopher L. Bennett's Ex Machina, and it's a fantastic book, even though it takes place in the pajama uniforms. Um, and you were saying that's one of your favorites as well. And so I think this is a a really good setting. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that might be one of the other strengths of the eBooks is, uh, you know, maybe when certain time periods or certain settings don't sell very well, 
the lower overhead costs of an ebook means that maybe you can get some stories in this era and explore that a little bit more without worrying so much about having to publish an entire novel. Right. Well, and and it's interesting because so we had the, we've had the more things change, seasons of light and darkness, and we're going to have foul deeds will rise by Greg Cox all set in the movie era. It seems like to me the movie era is really coming back in the books because I remember a lot of my favorite um, hardback books were set in that universe. I mean, you know, one of my favorite books is Shadows in the Sun, a big book for Dr. McCoy set in the movie universe. Of course, we had the Shatner verse as well set after the movie verse. And, and so, you know, the, it's, a, it's a big time period um, and it doesn't get explored a lot. Here's a thought. With the Abrams verse in full swing and with the comics, they're now on the five-year mission that they've been promising. It could be that there might be a little bit of discomfort with telling too many stories set in the prime timeline in the TOS era during the five-year mission. And therefore, we're getting more of these stories set in the movie time period because then there's not that competition for mind space between the prime universe 1701 crew and the Abrams verse 1701 crew, even though they're not doing Abrams verse novels. Mm -hmm. It might be the, uh, the kind of just having something a little bit different, the more seasoned TOS characters, as opposed to the younger versions and kind of letting the uh, JJ verse run with that. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that having the, uh, the movie universe kind of expand is, is a great idea. I mean, I do think that if you were to, you know, kind of take all the books you had about the the five year mission that we've had, you know, since Star Trek ended uh, till now, you probably could put them all back to back, and every minute of that five year mission is accounted for <laughs> down to the nanosecond. You know, uh, if Spock were to give us the calculations, probably. But you know, the yeah. movie universe, it, there are some great books in it. But there's a lot more to it. I mean, you know, there's a whole five-year mission that happens um, uh, in that time period. Um, there's a lot that goes on. So, uh, you know, give us some more books here because I, I think it really works. And for me, seeing these books come out and reading them and really enjoying them and, and kind of getting to piece together um, the films with these character pieces has been great. I'd love to see some more full-length novels and and. You know, hopefully, um, I, I hope both you, uh, Dan, you uh, and Chris are right that you know, maybe they just don't want to compete with the Abrams verse and the comics right now. And they're willing to give us the more seasoned crew, which for me and, and I know, Chris, you really like too. Uh, that's kind of like my Kirk, like the one I really go to, I think of. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's just a great era because. Um, you know, other than like the New Earth series, which is set in that time period, which came out a long time ago, um, you know, some of the hardback novels and that's kind of things that, you know, way back there in the early 90s, it's it's not really an era we've had a lot about. So hopefully we'll get more. I, I, I really hope so. And, uh, you know, it's also given us time to free up more space for the 24th century universe. I'm OK with that, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> well. What did you think about this particular book, The More Things Change? And as we talk about, you said a moment ago, maybe we'll get more novels. And we've talked about, like, I agree with you pretty much, Dan, that I like the e-novella format because it does feel like an episode. And this felt like an episode as well. 
Seasons of Light and Darkness, I think the e-novella format, it was a little bit longer than this one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. This is only 100 Mm -hmm. pages. It was just a little bit longer than that. That story felt right at that length. This story, for me, felt like it probably should have been a novel. What, What were your impressions of it? Um, well, I I think the length worked fairly well for this one. I can totally see your point. Like there was a lot of things in this that would have, I think, benefited from a bit of a deeper exploration. For the most part, I think uh, I was very happy with kind of the pacing of this story. Um, maybe the ending wrapped up a little bit too quickly, but I feel like it was kind of at its core a character exploration of chapel and spock and i think it worked very well in that vein yeah the things that i think could have been flushed out uh, like you said dan the ending um it felt a little bit like um one constant star where all of a sudden you know we've got Mm -hmm. the ending you know just kind of poof we're there uh even though in the book it takes months you know there's a lot of things that i feel like could have been a little bit more explained and then too i think Something that could have been flushed out were just the motivations behind the characters, you know, especially like Dax being in the story and then these Orions that are chasing them and exactly all that's going on behind that, you know, giving us more on this conference that's happening. Why are the Orions really trying to pick them up? Is it just for slaving or is there some other reason, you know, like really nefarious, like what if somebody's trying to expose the trill and who they really are and try and drive a wedge between them and the Federation. See, this is what I think would have made this a little bit more impactful as a book. I I like it, but I think it needed some of those things to really kind of drive home the the storyline that was happening. So for me there, before we knew that these were Orions that were after them, as soon as someone was attacking the shuttle, but they clearly didn't want to destroy the shuttle, my very first thought was they want the symbiont, which is, of course, something that we've seen before, even on DS9, where they want to have the symbiont, like mm-hmm. invasive procedures. But why do they want the symbiont? And then it turns out that they, they, they are after Dax, and they, they do want the Trill. But again, why? That's mm-hmm. one reason that I say that maybe this should have been a novel, just for that storyline alone. Although, to be honest, if I were rewriting this, I'd probably not have this Orion storyline at all. Yeah, if I were uh, if I were going to make this novella longer, I think I would probably want to explore a little bit more of Dax's role in the story and kind of make that fit a little better, if that makes sense. Because she's Definitely. kind of in the story and we don't really get a huge reason why that's the case. That's how I felt as well. Yeah. I have one idea. Do you want to talk about Dax now, Matthew? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. Because that was one of, I had a couple of points about this story that I wanted to hear from you guys on and what you thought. And Matthew, you and I were both excited about the fact that Audra Dax was going to be in the story because we like learning more about the past and the characters and their past lives. Right. But we also knew that it's going to be tricky to handle because in the 24th century, the Federation still doesn't know that the Trill are a joined species. But we knew that the story was about Spock and Christine Chapel having to save Dax's life. So how is that going to work? And then when I actually got into the story, I felt like Dax was maybe here 
just to have a familiar character in the story that was something beyond the TOS movie era. And while I find what is happening with Christine Chapel and Audrey Dax very interesting, it it seems out of place with the rest of the story, which is really what I think the primary focus of the story is, the relationship between Spock and Christine Chapel. Yeah, I, I, I think that I agree. And that's, you know, earlier what I was saying about just the length of the book. You know, if you flush this out, you you can create a better reason for her being there. Um, you can give more to obviously what happened before the story with her and Leonard, which I think, you know, with her and Bones, that that's a really great story. I, I understand them wanting to kind of... Um, you know, dive into Christine Chapel and, and what makes her kind of move off the Enterprise and why she's not there in um, The Wrath of Khan, you know, kind of giving us a, a framework for how Spock was growing from, you know, the motion picture to The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. But uh, I feel like the real story here to tell is 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 McCoy running into Audra Dax and having to deal with the fact that right. he knows who it is now, like, and that's... She let it slip, she says, you know, so yeah. that's the real story. And and so that's why you would have her in the story. But her and Christine, it doesn't quite gel right. the way it was supposed to. Yeah, there's well, I had an idea for how, how this could be handled. We were talking last week, Matthew, about how we don't get enough Deep Space Nine books. Mm-hmm. I could see this being a novel, first of all. And the setting for it is that after trials and tribulations, they're back on the station and Cisco asks Jadzia about that comment about Dr. McCoy having great hands. And because Cisco knew Curzon so well, he's curious about the other past lives of Dax. And then Jadzia starts telling him the story about how Emini met Leonard and McCoy, which could also then lead to this story about Audrey and Christine Chapel. And a lot of this story could be told as it is, but it would be Jadzia telling a story to Cisco. Yeah, that is a pretty interesting framework. Um, now, Emini's story was told there in Lives of Dax, and right. Michael Jan Freeman actually supplied the story of when she met Leonard McCoy at that gymnastics competition. But Matthew, has Benny Russell read Lives of Dax, though? <laughs> See, he may not know the story, so he needs to hear it. That is true. Here. There you go. You're right. Um, but you could still <laughs> use that as the beginning of this, like referencing Michael Jan Freeman's story and saying, well, you, you might not know, Benjamin, that Emily met Leonard McCoy and then kind of dri- driving into a story that kind of bounces off that one. You can still have the story with Spock and... and Christine Chapel, but just maybe give a little bit more to the interaction between her and Bones. And this is really where the whole this could be an entire novel. I mean, this there's right. a lot more here. Plus, I mean, you've you've got why are these Orions really after her? I mean, right. gosh, well, it's for, forget the Orions for a minute. I think that the Christine Chapel Audrey Dax story could be its own novel without the Spock elements also. Like, mm-hmm. what is this great secret about the Trill? How does Christine Chapel have to deal with learning about this and not being able to tell anyone? How is it hidden from the Federation for another century? Mm-hmm. That could be its own novel. And actually, for me, that part of the story 
would be more interesting than this un, the undertones of this love affair between Spock and Christine Jones. Mm-hmm. As it kind of stands right now, I mean, um, I, I do enjoy the interplay between Chapel and Audra Dax in this one. But at the same time, like you say, she's just kind of in this story seemingly because she's around at this period of time. And I feel like sometimes there's a risk of a small universe syndrome and just, you know, authors taking anyone and everyone who might have been around during a particular time and throwing them together, you know, like if they threw Guinan in, for example, oh, she's alive during this time. What's she up to? Oh, she shows up on the Enterprise and that kind of thing. I don't know. It'd be going a little overboard sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's where the story, again, if you flush it out into a longer novel, you can create a reason Mm -hmm. for Dax to be there. You could also create some subterfuge here for, um, you know, somebody trying to expose the trill and um, create a a, a rift between the trill and the Federation because of this secret um, and the Federation worrying Maybe somehow that the the information they've gotten has made it seem like the symbionts are evil or something mm-hmm. like that. And so I mean, there's a whole story you could kind of work yeah. around here that really kind of makes Dax being in the story mean even more. And then Christine Chapel having the opportunity maybe to be even more of a hero in the story yeah. than just saving Audrid's life, which we know is going to happen because we know Audrid didn't die then, most likely. Right. And we know Spock's not going to die, and we know Christine's not going to die, so nobody's really in jeopardy <laughs> in the story. Yeah, give right, her a real right. reason to be there, absolutely. Right. Well, and like you, Dan, the small universe syndrome is a real issue that I have with a lot of stories. This one I feel is a little bit different, though, because this one isn't the case of just plucking a character that's familiar sticking them in a story just so that they're there. I think Scott Pearson has a really good concept here. Mm -hmm. It's just bigger than the e-novella format. Yeah, that makes sense. And therefore, within the context of the e-novella, it feels like Audrid is there for no really good reason. Yeah, kind of wasted a little bit with, you know, a lot of potential, but not really explored as much as it could be. Well, and and, uh, Chris, you were saying something about maybe... Um, her being on the story and the, the symbiosis between the the Dax uh, symbiont and um, that was Audrey were... and, and maybe that kind of being an interplay yeah. between you know Spock and, and and Christine. There were two two thoughts I had on why Audrey Dax might be in the story. One of them is the one that you just described, which maybe the idea is that especially when Chapel is filling when she. She detects the brain waves, and then she's feeling the sort of electrical tingling from the symbiont there. And then she's learning that these two sentient beings can be intertwined in this way. And maybe that's meant to mirror the way she feels about Spock. like Because she tells Spock that, I had these feelings for you, I've moved beyond them but you still have a special place for me. We're still connected somehow. So maybe it's meant to mirror that, in which case I understand that, but I think it's a very weak connection within the story that Mm -hmm. it's not enough for you to feel like they fit together. The other thing that I thought of was that why would Dr. McCoy not be the physician who is transporting an important dignitary for medical treatment 
we but we need it to be Christine Chapel so that we get Chapel and Spock together in this small space so that you can explore their relationship. So how do you do that? Well, you make the dignitary someone that Leonard McCoy doesn't want to travel with because it's uncomfortable because of this past relationship that he had with Emini. So if you make it Dax, then that's how you get McCoy out of the picture and you keep Christine Chapel in the picture. Which I thought worked in in the story. I think it does well. Although um, I, I just feel like it would have been better to have a little bit more time, maybe just, you know, a page and a half, you know, to kind of give you those scenes with with uh, Bones and, and Dax. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that kind of where they they have that discussion like okay we we really can't spend more time together because it almost seems like that deep space 9 episode rejoined between her because there's something going on between him and Audrid mm-hmm. at that point that's not just like McCoy's uncomfortable it feels like they're both kind of uncomfortable in the sense that she's afraid i think maybe she's going to cross some lines that she knows are taboo and and Trill, you know, really don't cross those lines unless they want to be ostracized by the Trill community. So mm-hmm. um, I feel like again, that's just a whole other part of the story that that you could explore if you do it as a novel, where it would really work pretty well. And and um, you know, it it adds to poor Doctor McCoy and his angst that just is never ending. He <laughs> he always ends up on the short side of the stick here. Um, when it comes to love and, and just life in general. So I think it would really, really help if, if we just had more. And I think that's great to be able to yeah. be reading in one of the e-novellas and think, I want more like this. Oh, yeah. could, you know, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. It's, it speaks that Scott Pearson really created a, a pretty interesting premise. We're just saying, hey, man, Scott, we would love to have more of this that's instead of less. Definitely, definitely not a bad yeah, complaint it's, to it's, have. <laughs> Right, yeah. It's not that I didn't enjoy the story, but it it was it was a story. It was an enjoyable story that left me wanting more. So, kind of moving past that, you know, we get to you know Christine Chapel being you know the kind of the main character in this story. It's told from her point of view. Um, the story flows through her. Just what do you think about having her be kind of a main character? Because obviously, she's not going to sell a novel. This is why it's an e-novella. Well, that's um, why I also feel like maybe that's another reason why Dax is in it. Ah, yeah, that's a good call. Um, One more draw. What? A, yeah, exactly. Um, but what are your thoughts just about having her there? And then, of course, you know, we do get the character development, at least for her, of moving from, you know, we saw that she's a doctor in... The motion picture, which obviously is a surprise to all of us. And then we don't see her character again in The Wrath of Khan. So there's something that happens there. You know, what did you guys think about that? Well, I thought it was great to kind of get that um, motivation and, and like why she left. Because like you say, she's the background character in a couple episodes or sorry, a couple of the films and literally one or two scenes she's seen in the background kind of thing. So, you know, what happened to her? Where did she go? Why did she leave? And it's kind of nice to get some of those answers here. And I thought 
that kind of continuing what Christopher L. Bennett talked about in Ex Machina, which was kind of, you know, Dr. McCoy coming back and Chapel being a full doctor, but still feeling like she's maybe subordinate to McCoy because Bones falls back into those old doctor nurse patterns. Um, I thought that was really excellent to kind of talk about that and explain a little bit about her motivations because she's never really been front and center before. So it was really good to kind of see her come into her own a little bit and um, stretch her muscles as it were. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. What I really loved about having her in this story was um, the influence of Bones on her, the way that she, Mm -hmm. you know, she's, I'm a doctor, not a pilot. And then in her brain, she's like, I can't believe I just said that. Right. That was you know, great. Or the, that was great. Yeah, or the fact that she curses a lot apparently now because, you know, she's been hanging around Bones too long. She obviously is somebody who enjoys a nice beverage um, for uh, a slight inebriation, just well, as not McCoy just does. Not just any beverage, sorry, and, and Tranya, brandy, yeah. And Tranya, uh, too. Exactly, yeah. as well as one of McCoy's special mixtures. I like the uh, Tranya. She's like, oh, poof. Did I just say poof? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I think all of that's great because too, um, it as much as she has the worry about you know whether you know kind of McCoy is he holding her back, I think there's the appreciation for all that she's learned from him and how he kind of is like her older brother, and she really you know loves this guy and and, and apparently too we can see how much she's learned from him. Like she is the doctor that she is because she's learned from the best Mm -hmm. and she might have a hard time telling McCoy that because of the relationship that they have, because there is kind of this back and forth with her feeling a little bit subservient, but I thought it was, I thought it was great. And and again, that's one of those things where like, I would have loved to have seen a few scenes between them Mm -hmm. to kind of really build that. So when she makes that decision, um, then you get to have the scene where, you know, her and McCoy meet and she tells him he's she's leaving. And, you know, it, it's kind of a heartbreaking scene between them. Yeah, I, Again, this is great stuff. I just wish we had gotten some well, more. You could even if this were a novel, you could even have that at the beginning. And then the rest of the story mm-hmm. is the flashback that leads mm-hmm. to that point. The yeah. opening yeah. could be her sitting with McCoy, talking and telling him that she's decided yeah. to leave. Why did you make this mm. decision? Well, let me tell you a story kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 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 Let me tell you why. You remember that time you made me go on that mission with <laughs> Spock and Audra Dax? Well, and then, but it would be really short. Bones would say, oh, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you spent way too much time alone with Spock <laughs> cramped up in there. Yeah. I'd leave too. Wanna, yeah. Anybody <laughs> would want to leave the service after that. Uh, That's was, right. Well, uh, what did you think, Chris, just about, um, you know, Christine being the the kind of the main thrust of the story? I think it's interesting. I mean, when we talk about wanting to have parts of the timeline filled in and we want to have parts of the movie era filled in, I think it's a story that you should tell. Personally, I'm not that interested in what happened to Christine Chapel. She's not a character that I really latched onto or ever gave much thought to. Other than she's there. Chris, the first lady so of Star Trek. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Majel Barrett. I'm not talking about her. In fact, I, listen, this I know TOS fans will will be screaming as I say this right now, but Matthew, you'll probably understand. 
As I'm reading this, where we're actually delving more into Christine Chapel's head, and she has more dialogue than we've ever heard her deliver, I am hearing Majel's voice, but I'm I'm thinking more of Lawaxana <laughs> on Deep Space Nine. And I mean that in a good way, in yeah. that Deep Space Nine, they really took the time to explore Lawaxana Troy and what's really going on in her mind as a real person and as a woman. And I feel that here. I think that that Scott did a good job of writing that aspect of Christine Chapel. And it's interesting. The problem is that I never latched on to Christine Chapel, particularly as character, especially not in the movie era as a doctor. It's more of the original series where she has this kind of crush on Spock. But then what happened to her later on, it's not something that I think a lot about. And it's not necessarily something where I personally seek out. I want to know what happened in Christine Chapel. But I know for many fans, it is. And many fans wonder what happened to Christine Chapel. And for them, this story feels a blank that they want to know about. So your question, what do I think about her being the center of the story? I, I think it's a story that you should tell. But if you're going to tell it, I want to know more. And therefore, I would have preferred not to get into the Spock element of it, but to get into why did Christine Chapel decide to leave the Enterprise and go down a different path? What was really going on in her head through this obviously complicated situation with Dax and with the Trill and with the Trill doctors who thank her very much for what she did, but then say, we're never going to speak of this again. You know, what else happened there? So, so good premise. I'm fine with her being the center of the story. I'd like to see it fleshed out more. So I think that the concept warranted a novel more than an e-novella. Well, it's funny too, because I was just thinking as you were talking that, um, you know, they bring on Pulaski in TNG. I don't need any Pulaski books. Man. To be kind of the, the Bones McCoy of TNG. But I think what's most interesting here, Chris, is that they are able to create, Scott Pearson is able to create here a character that feels like a Dr. McCoy, but isn't just a carbon co- copy of him. Like, he does, yeah. She, you know, Christine Chapel has her own sense of being, like, because we already kind of know her. It, it's it's helpful that we know her. But she has enough of that McCoy spirit without just being, you know, a, a drone of McCoy that we kind of got with Pulaski. And it's like, wow, if we could have had, you know, this is what we got for Pulaski instead, I think it would have worked maybe better, you know, because... This is a great character, and I, 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 I wanted to kind of know more. I, I wanted a no- novel out of this because I would like to have some more Christine Chapel. She was pretty interesting and funny, and and like yeah. really mm-hmm. a great character. So well, it's was, just interesting yeah. to me that it's too bad that the the writers for for TNG couldn't pull this off when they were oh. creating Pulaski. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I we see may what you're never saying. have gotten. Gates back if they had been able to do this because I feel like this would have worked on TNG, whereas what they did just obviously really doesn't work at all. So, yeah, yeah. but uh, all my compliments to Scott for creating, I think, a character like you said, like I don't generally go out and search for, you know, 
Christine Chapel memorabilia <laughs> or even, you know, any knowledge about her. But by the end no. of the story, I cared about her yeah. and I wanted to know more. So well done him to take a, a small character and yeah. create somebody that's dynamic. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like kind of all of the background characters, and I mean, you know, most of the main, quote, main characters in TOS were kind of background characters in the series. And in the films, we saw kind of a huge kind of evolution of them. And yeah, I always kind of found it kind of sad that uh, Chapel never got that because I would have liked to have seen what she could do in the films. Let me ask you a question real quick about Christine Chapel here with this story. For you, is this story more about Christine Chapel and Spock, or is it more about Christine Chapel internally? Hmm. I personally read it more as Christine Chapel and Spock myself because I think that's the intention of yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I I guess Chris, I would go. I and it's funny. I'll say I think it's more about her internally and and yeah. the Spock part just happens to be a part of what's going on with her and because i I feel like the the relationship that she's having with um spock at this point is one of a very deep friendship like a very deep friendship and and she's caring for her friend who's gone through what could only be considered a trauma Mm -hmm. you know and um the, the 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 depth of relationship there but it's all coming from what we're seeing happening in her internally hmm. yeah, as she's kind of evolving yeah. from the even the nurse doctory person to being the full on doctor and somebody who's willing to to even try command kind of in right. the same way we saw Ezri Dax move from counseling to command in the Deep Space Nine relaunch. Christine right. Chapel's really having that same evolution. Mm-hmm. Well, I see the story the same way you do. For me, it's about Christine internally, and the Spock element is there. But I feel like the book is presented as being about the Spock-Christine romance or non-romance, just in what we what we knew about it going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, yeah. Now, so with this, we've talked kind of around the Spock character, but let's kind of, I think that the last thing we should really dive into Spock, he's the biggest character in the book. Um, he's the one we know the most about. He's not the and- biggest character in the book. The biggest character in the book is the the Orion captain. I mean, he's physically <laughs> yes, big. Yes. Uh, I meant the most popular, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the most popular character in the book. So uh, Spock is obviously here uh, after six months after the motion picture. So, uh, and, and presented uh, very fragilely is a character. He's he's uh, not the Spock that we know, obviously, from uh, the Wrath of Khan and, and onwards. Uh, so what do you guys think about this portrayal of Spock? Uh, and does this, this portrayal get him right in this time period or something off? What do you guys think? Um, I really enjoyed Spock in this one. I think uh, it's kind of something about his character that hasn't been explored very much. Um, even a lot of the older... TOS novels that were set during this time period kind of went back to the Spock of the original series, right? The cold, emotionless, not playing Mm -hmm. with emotions whatsoever. But this one kind of continues in the vein of, again, Christopher L. Bennett's Ex Machina, kind of using that 
transitionary period of Spock where he's trying to integrate the emotions uh, into his life following the V'ger incident. A couple of times when reading this, I felt that maybe they went a little bit overboard with his emotionalism, but then I kind of reflected on a little bit more and it makes sense that this is the period of time in which he would be kind of figuring out that balance, right? And maybe getting a little bit too emotional sometimes and then realizing, okay, no, I need to kind of cut that back. And then because canon wise, the next time we see him, the wrath of Khan is is quite a bit of time after the motion picture. So by that point, he's really learned that balance. I didn't really feel like they went overboard with the emotional elements because as you just described, he would be experiencing these things right now. And, and, Part of the point of the story is how does Chapel help him with that. I felt, though, personally, that Spock's voice was off in the story. Like, it didn't quite feel like Spock. It felt like someone else delivering lines who, in the story, is named Spock and is very much like Spock, but isn't exactly the Spock that I'm expecting. But at the same time... It's been a while since I've watched the motion picture, and I do think that we have to put Spock's voice in that time period, and maybe you guys know that voice better. Maybe you've watched the motion picture more recently, and Scott may have gone and like really, really studied Spock's voice in the motion picture for this tone, so it may be spot on. It felt a little bit off for me reading it, having not watched that particular Spock in a long time. How did you feel about that? Well, you know, I kind of thought the same way you did for a second, and then I I had to put myself in um, the time period. But then I also realized, I I think, Chris, maybe what we're experiencing is that TNG totally stole Spock's story and just threw it on Data and then, oh, well, exactly. I mean, there are lines in this book where it's data talking. Exactly. It's like and completely I think that's data. the problem yeah. is that we it starts to feel like data instead of Spock. Yeah. But then I realize, well, really, in it's in canon, they're kind of the same character that, you know, they are, um, yeah. you know, literally, that's what um, Gene Roddenberry did in creating data. He just took the Spock character and took out all emotion. Um, And then made him want to be, you know, human. And so it's the same struggle. And I think that's what I came across. But then I realized that Spock in this time period would be dealing with the same things that Data was dealing with in, say, the Immortal Coil Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And and when I heard those lines and I thought, this kind of sounds like Data, I realized why. And it didn't bother Mm -hmm. me as much. It just bothered me that, TNG was so lazy by taking a character that was just completely already done and then yeah. get flushing it out. But at the same time, well, TNG also gets seven years to flush out the character. And, yeah. You know, the original series only had three and then the movies. So I don't know if I would say that Roddenberry was lazy in creating data to tell the same thing that he was trying to tell with Spock. I think it's what you just said there that he probably felt that what he wanted to explore got cut off. And so I'm going to give it another go Hmm. and I'm going to do it with a new character. And this time I'm getting enough time to actually explore it. Which 
as we talked yeah. about when we talking with Jeff Lang, I don't even like the character of Data until the his book, you know, Immortal Coil, because they're actually finally dealing with all the questions that Data should be dealing with. Yeah, I think you're very much in the minority and not liking Data. <laughs> I am the minority. I'm just I'm just putting it out there, and that's okay. I I don't mind people disagreeing with me on that one. It's just it, it's just a frustration of mine. I think it's just because of the lack of character development for so right. long. Yeah, just kind well, of we being look for character and yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. You know, whereas if we'd had him on that other darker, grittier series, we might have gotten that. So, well, I always felt that Odo was that character on Deep Space Nine. Kind not, of, not in exactly the same way. Well, not in the same way as Data is related to Spock, but Odo was that character who is the outsider who's going to comment, especially in the first two seasons, going yeah. to comment on. Yeah humanity and humanoid characters mm-hmm. the way that spock in particular would. yes and then they yeah. kind of shift that character to being more of his own character growth instead of right. that where right. it's going to give him that cookie cutterness that we've because in early ds9 odo always walks into the bar like every episode <clears throat> seems to start with cork and odo in the bar where odo goes in to spout some view about how mm-hmm. humans behave yep. <laughs> well I also think, you know, though, this is a story that is immensely interesting when it comes to Spock and how does he move from from that kind of emotional awakening in the motion picture to somebody that we get in Star Trek VI where he says that logic is only the beginning of wisdom. And that's what the story is for Spock throughout the movie era. And this is why I think that it's so yeah. rife for storytelling because you have so much character development that happens with these characters. I mean, give us some more stories, you know, dealing with Kirk in the aftermath of his son's death and kind of really explaining some of that prejudice we see against the Klingons in, in more depth. How does how does Bones become just a little bit less curmudgeon by the time he gets to the motion picture? Like, He's he's a little bit more lively. Like he's funny. He's just being himself. He doesn't feel so down in that movie. Maybe it was yeah. all the bourbon and beans. <laughs> Lots um, of sorry and brandy. Five. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, bourbon and beans too. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's an explosive combination. <laughs> uh, so this is this is where I I, I kind of want to see that because again, you know, as much as we talked about this could be a novel, I feel like there's novels upon novels you can write with this Spock character and kind of moving him forward in the same way that we've done in the 24th century now in the books with Data and his emotion chip and how far he's moved forward. I mean, for the love of God, Spock comes back to life. (laughs) So let's deal with that in some novels because that's a ringer right there. Well, that's the thing here. You talked about the undiscovered country, Spock. Spock's going through that right now in this novel, you know, kind of trying to, figure out emotions and dealing with the fact that he's half human after he's gone and tried to purge that. But then he dies and then he has to start over again. Yes, exactly. Find all this for a second time Mm -hmm. before we get to the undiscovered country. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think again, it, it just proves how much story there is in this time period and how good of a period this is. What about this? What about uh, a search for Spock story that takes place during the search for Spock, but it's like a buddy story between Spock and Bones, but they're in the same head, and it's told <laughs> only from Spock's perspective. 
Oh gosh. Huh. <laughs> that actually that actually sounds oh, really man. cool. <laughs> That's that is the buddy comedy of all buddy comedies. I, I think you've just um hit the ultimate bosom buddies story there, Chris. Am I wrong in saying that would make a really good ebook novella? <laughs> I yeah, think it would, yes. Know. That'd all be right. funny. So to wrap everything up, you know, and, and kind of give your final thoughts um on the book uh, as we've been talking through Dan. Um, just kind of final thoughts and in rating for the more things change. Okay. Well, I generally really enjoyed this one. Um, as I have most of the ebook novellas, like I say, the, uh, the length and the pacing is, you know, it's a fun afternoon read. I surprised it surprised me, but I really did enjoy like the further characterization of chapel and like I said, some of the things with Spock at first I thought were a little bit out of character or a little bit overboard, but kind of upon reflection, I came around to those. A few kind of loose things like, you know, why was Dax in the story if she's not going to be used for, to her full potential? A few things like that, but for the most part, I don't think they really detract from the enjoyment that I got out of reading this novella. So, with all of that said, if I were to give it a rating, I think I would probably have to give it, I'm going to say, 9 out of 10 squirming symbionts. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Squirming around. I've probably said pretty much everything I think about it during the discussion. Just to sum up, I really like the concept and I like the elements of the story. I don't like as much the way that they fit together in these 100 pages. I, I'm i not crazy about the whole Orion thing because it's sort of like the go-to danger that Orion slavers are going to be trying to kidnap you. So that part I wasn't really particularly crazy about. I think there are other ways that you could put Spock and Chapel in danger together where they have to explore. If it's about the relationship between the two of them, you don't need Dax and you don't need Orions to come up with a story that lets you really explore that relationship. If it's about Christine Chapel internally, the presence of Spock is a good element, but the Audrid situation is much more interesting and more challenging for Chapel. So I would like to see that be the focus of the story. And again, I don't think you need Orion's attacking the ship in order to achieve that. So not crazy about all the elements in here, but it is an enjoyable story, has great potential. I would just have liked to have seen the Christine Chapel story told as a novel, I think. So I'm going to give this an uncomfortable lip lock. I love it. That is fantastic. You know, um, I, I think honestly what we've all said is really um, sometimes more is better. And this e-novella really had a ton of potential as we've talked through. And I I agree with, with both of you. I enjoyed the story. I just felt like there could have been more. And by there being more, um, we would have gotten um, a, a more fully rounded story it was maybe a little bit more cohesive and did some things with uh, these characters that were on the sidelines like Bones and Dax and then even more with Christine, Chapel and Spock that would have um, been even more enjoyable. And so sometimes more is better. And because of that, I, I think I'm going to have to give this 
three tranyas with chapel. Excellent. Now, you're not just saying more is better, bigger is better because you're from Texas, are you? No, no. Although, I, I mean, now that I live in okay. Washington, the trees are huge here. So, you know, the, there's some big <laughs> right. things here in, in, in Washington. So, <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's always a blast when we get to have you on talking about the books. I, I, I know Chris feels this way, but it's it's just great to have another voice. And I think it really adds to the discussion. So, Tell everybody where they can find you online and, and where they can follow you on the interweb. For sure. Uh, well, you can find my main uh, review site where I post reviews of each new novel that comes out as well as old novels. And that's just at treklit.com. Uh, the reviews of new releases also get republished on trekcore.com. On Twitter, you can find me. I'm at treklitreviews. And I'm on facebook.com slash treklitreviews. Pretty consistent across the board. Pretty easy to find. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much uh, for having me. It's always a lot of fun to be on. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Matthew, I think that was a pretty good discussion about the novella today. There were a number of things I wanted to talk about. I think we covered them all as the discussion was going on with you and Dan I felt like we were picking up momentum and maybe we could have expanded our discussion into a longer one, just as I felt this novella could have been expanded into a longer novel. Uh, Definitely, Chris. I do think that we could have talked for quite a while uh, about the possibilities that were brought up with this e-novella. And I've got to say, I do love when a story gives me so much to think about story-wise and what could have happened and, uh, you know, it also gives me the ability to, to really stretch my imagination, kind of maybe building those things for myself in my mind of, OK, why is this happening and, and all that and um, creating those story elements. And, and uh, again, this would have been a fantastic novel. It was a good e-novella. I'm glad we got it. And I'm very thankful that Pocket is really putting a lot into these. Um, I, I think that they are doing a, a very good job of giving us some smaller yeah, character stories. And I appreciate them having faith in these authors to do this. And I hope that they continue. So I would say to everyone, if you do want this kind of thing to continue, if you want to enjoy getting more Star Trek stories, well, the only way to do that is to go out there, get that ebook, um, buy the books on the shelf or the, the ebook version of the actual novels because that's the only way we're going to get more. Pocket will give you what you buy. And so um, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting this stuff. Yeah, same here. Well, this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. They're not going to just do something crazy and be like, what if we did Star Trek? But on Earth. What if we did Star Trek, but, you know, with, with more explosions or whatever? Wouldn't that be cool? And, and giant robots. Earl Grey. Between a combination of Riker's beard and the spandex, you could pretty much identify what season you were watching just by those two markers alone. No beard Riker? Must be season one. Pinstriping in the background, but Riker has a beard? Must be season two. The Ready Room. The Prime Directive is there and all these captains are constantly having to break it because it's obviously such a rigid rule right and uh you can't tell a story with such rigid rules so you go back to it's television it's drama the orb 
it's never clear like is Costa Mojan is that the name of a person from long ago or is it the name of a group of people and so you're saying that in the prophet's language Costa Mojan is the name of the paw race right that's what they call the paw race to the journey think about how horrible it would be perceived by the audience to see Neelix beaten up ruthlessly. Some people would really enjoy that. That's true. I'm talking about normal people with hearts and souls. Okay, so those people. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Um, this means that really now sort of the, the three of us are responsible for really getting the movie to, to, to what it's going to be. And, and there's a thing, okay, what the movie we write is the movie that's going to get made, which is a really cool feeling, actually. Warp 5. You know, Spock and Tuvok are two Vulcans. And so I feel like if you brought 10 more into the room to say that they're all going to be the same is really a boring race. It's, even right. if they're logical, they shouldn't have the same personalities. Melodic treks. But J- when J.J. Abrams came on, he was like, just in like casual... <laughs> T-shirt and jeans. T-shirt and yeah. And because he'd just come from the set of... Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good so... excuse. Continuing mission. And there's this moment where you pass into it and you're not only on a TV set, you're you're on a, a TV set that is a recreation of the Enterprise. And then that goes away and then you're on the Enterprise. Literary Treks. This is what I expect from the uh, ongoing comics. This is kind of what I think we've wanted is, is just right. to have this crew yeah, start definitely. to feel like the original series in some ways. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can get them anywhere you get your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere these days. And remember, if you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, leave us a review. We have the reviews promotion that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. All you need to do to enter is to leave us a review on iTunes and or Stitcher, and you can do both, and that will count as two separate entries. You can review Literary Treks, any of the other shows you listen to on the network, even the Master Feed, that will get you an entry as well. All entries received by midnight July 31st will be entered into a drawing. Winners will be selected at random, and you can win a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, Star Trek novels of your choice, official Starships collection ships from Japan, a complete collection of our alien art badges, and we may add some other prizes before July 31st. So just keep tabs on the promotion, and we'll let you know if we add anything else. To enter, you need to do two things. You need to leave the review, and then second, you need to go to trek.fm slash review and complete the form that you find there. We'll ask you about who you are, what your names are on Stitcher and iTunes, so we can match you up to your review, where you left the reviews, which shows you reviewed as well. And that way we'll be able to get in touch with you if you win, and of course to thank you for your reviews. We've been receiving quite a few. We're going to read some of them on an upcoming show And we really thank you for your support. So remember, review us in iTunes and Stitcher. Go to trek.fm slash review to enter the competition. And we look forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to leave us some feedback on today's show, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can find the network on Twitter. We're at trek.fm. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash trek.fm. We have a community on G+. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can send us a voicemail through the website. You'll see that in the sidebar. And you can go to trek.fm slash contact and use the form there to send us a message. And that will come to both Matthew and me by email. 
All right, Matthew, when you're not sipping some Saurian brandy with Leonard McCoy and trying to get him to give you all the details about those days he spent with Emily Dax, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb here on the network talking about Deep Space Nine. Great show. Hope you'll check that out. And then, Chris, I do have my own blog. It's 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not hoping you get stuck in a shuttle with Christine Chapel for years on end, where can we find you? I'm not sure I'm going to be stuck in that. Maybe stuck in a shuttle with Zara. Maybe that would work better <laughs> for me. <laughs> Good choice. The Abrams vs. Comic Zara, of course. Now, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. And I have my own website, cbrianjones.com. And then I do a lot of shows on the network. Of course, Matthew, the orb with you. I also do the Ready Room, Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, and Hyper Channel, which is daily Star Trek news. So check out those shows if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Star Trek. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for this week's show. That's audible.com. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and get a free book of your choice, either The Lost Years or anything else that you'd like to pick up. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book, so there's nothing to lose. But by trying Audible, you're really helping us keep the show coming to you every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Well, it's funny, too, because I was just thinking as you were talking that, um, you know, they bring on Pulaski in TNG. I don't need any Pulaski books. <laughs> to be kind of the, the Bones McCoy of TNG. To, okay, I'm but, not even going to tell you what that sounded like over the online audio. Oh, my God. <laughs>